Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, a uh, very good morning to you. I'm Richard Quest. And here's what you need to know as we end the week. It is a Friday. The vaccine is getting closer. Pfizer is now to apply for emergency use authorization. That's going to happen anytime now. The Fed's fury as the U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin asks for his money back from the various bailout schemes. And the flight plan, Virgin Atlantic, uh, talks to us about how they hope uh, to move forward uh, with a vaccine and get planes back in the air. It is Friday, as Julia would say, let's make a move. And a warm welcome. Uh, to first move. I'm Richard Quest sitting in for Julia uh, today. She's back on Monday. A look at the global markets and how they are trading uh, today. It's a mixed picture overall. Uh, bearing in mind the undercurrents, I'm surprised that things are holding off as well as they are. The futures are showing slightly lower, down a quarter of a percent. The Nasdaq is up. Uh, so you get an idea. Nasdaq down, Nasdaq up. Dow and S&P are down. Uh, the the reasons, well, they're all the same reasons as we've had all week. But if you look at Europe, you'll see the conflicting undertones of the market. Europe is higher across the board. Japanese stocks were down, but others in the region were higher. And that gives you an idea of exactly the sort of uh, mismatch that we're seeing in the markets. The vaccine news has been lending support. Pfizer and BioNTech is to seek US approval today to begin vaccinations. It'll be on an emergency use basis. And of course, Moderna is expected to follow very soon with similar. Other challenges for investors today, a record 187,000 new virus cases in the US. The death toll was not the highest since May. And there are a record number of cases in Germany and Japan. US jobless claims were rising. The Treasury is fighting the Fed. And as you get an idea of what's happening today, new data showing US economy may be slowing. The US Treasury has cutting funding to the Fed emergency program. Steve Mnuchin he says that the program has achieved their objectives. The Federal Reserve is strongly criticising the decision. Matt Egan is with me uh, to talk about this. Um, Matt, the, the situation with the Fed and why, the, why is the Treasury asking for the money back? Richard, I think that's a great question. This is a very weird time to take the training wheels off the economy and the financial markets. As you just pointed out, coronavirus infections are at all-time highs in the United States. The economy is weakening. And so that's why even the Federal Reserve was surprised that the Treasury Secretary wants to take back some of these unused funds that were part of emergency programs. The Fed issued this uh, pretty rare statement last night uh, saying that they would have preferred that this money would have stayed in place 
as a backstop. Now, as far as why this is happening, um, Treasury is right. Some of this money was unused um, and the programs have been effective, but that doesn't mean the money should go away. Uh, remember that the Fed actually was able to unfreeze credit markets without even firing a shot. The mere promise that the Fed would buy corporate debt, including junk bonds, was enough to unlock financial markets, even companies like Carnival were able to borrow. Uh, and so that brings another question about why this is happening. I've got to read you what the typically Republican-friendly Chamber of Commerce said in response to this news. They put out a statement and they said that these political machinations would, quote, prematurely and unnecessarily tie the hands of the incoming administration. Richard, this appears to be yet another bizarre chapter in what can only be described as a debacle of a presidential transition. Okay, so is it, Matt, I mean, let's get to this. Is it uh, sort of a, a Yabu sucks, we're taking our money back, move by Mnuchin? Or is there, a, a, I mean, even though the Fed doesn't like it and would like to have the firepower, is there an argument for saying, you yeah, know, take the money back, as Mnuchin says, and let Congress Congress redeploy that money where they feel best. In a vacuum, yes, but we're dealing with a very divided Washington right now. They can't even agree on who the next president is come January 20th. They have for months not been able to agree on how much money and how to spend it on another fiscal bill. So it, it sort of um, seems like a risky gambit here to take money that has already been allocated for programs that are working at a time when the economy is weakening and say, let's see if Congress can figure out how better to use this money, because clearly they haven't really been able to agree on much of anything right now. Uh, and so that's why I really was surprised to see the, the response from the Fed. You know, typically these kinds of disagreements, as you know, Richard, are, are hashed out behind the scenes. Um, and in this case, we have this public disagreement where the Fed chief is saying, you know, listen, this is not what we think should happen. Um, I think that is that is pretty telling here, Richard. All right. Thank you, uh, Matt Egan, uh, talking to us there. Now to the fact that, that the Georgia results are to be certified after a recount, the, a hand recount that essentially didn't move many votes and kept the result firmly for Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Johns is with us uh, to, to talk about this. Now, we always knew that it was highly unlikely that many votes would be moved. I think it's about 300 to 400 in a recount on average gets moved across. So they have now done their recount. They've got their result. Joe Johns, uh, tell me what happens next. Well, you're talking about Georgia now, right? I, I jumped into IFB in the middle of uh, your lead in there. If you're talking about Georgia, the next step would be for the electors to meet in the state of Georgia, and uh, that occurs on or about December 8th, and they vote uh, to uh, recognize Joe Biden as the winner of the election in their state, and that moves on uh, to Washington from there. That's generally what the procedure is, uh, but there could still be, you know, any number of uh, attacks from the White House on this. Interesting, we have to point out that uh, 
what's going on here today, sort of the chaos of the moment at the White House, is waiting to find out if both or one or neither of the legislators who are at the top of the Michigan legislature will show up here at the White House for a meeting. They've been invited uh, for the president to discuss the election in Michigan with them. Uh, It's kind of clear that the House Speaker of Michigan uh, isn't sure if he's coming because he hasn't confirmed for the meeting, but apparently the majority leader is coming. The majority leader of that state has said he's not interested in overturning the election in that state. So the question, of course, would be whether the president reach out, reaches out to legislators in the state of Georgia to see if they might do what Michigan apparently is not going to do. That sounds like the president's latest ploy, if you will. Richard. Joe, I, I think I asked you this yesterday, and uh, I'm not sure uh, I mean, you wants any further in understanding it. What is the end game here? I mean, from what you're hearing, from where you are, since there is just about nobody uh, of authority or integrity who believes that this is anything uh, or can have any uh, possibility of success, what is the end game? Well, colleagues here at CNN say it's pretty clear to the president that he has lost the election, but nonetheless, they've talked to people who say the president's end game, his uh, long-term position, is to attempt to undermine the presidency of Joe Biden, to delegitimize him as sort of out of revenge because the president feels that his own administration, his own presidency was delegitimized during, for example, the Russia investigation. And it's payback time. Of course, you have to point out that it was the president himself who invited Russia to help him out on the election. He did it in a very public way during the campaign. So it was the president's own acts and words that led to the Russia investigation, led to the delegitimizing, if you will, if that happened, of his presidency, Richard. Joe Johns, who's at the White House. Joe, thank you for coming up so quickly uh, on that one. Now to the highest number of COVID cases in the United States since May. We're getting numbers of 186,000 cases in the last 24 hours, and more than 2,000 people have died, according to Johns Hopkins University. The rise in the number of cases comes across almost all of the country. And it comes as the CDC is urging Americans not to travel this Thanksgiving. Adrienne Broadus reports from Chicago. An onslaught of coronavirus cases spiraling out of control across the United States. The U.S. reported more than 187,000 new cases Thursday a new daily high for the country, and more than 2,000 Americans reported dead from the virus. The influential model from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation now predicts about 471,000 Americans will die from the virus by next March if behaviors don't change. The modeling group warning that, quote, the pace of the increase is faster than we expected. We'll look back and say, why couldn't we uh, convince people to just stay the course 
uh, until we got up to that very high vaccination level. More than 80,000 patients are in the hospital with the virus. And on Thursday, the CDC urging Americans in new guidance, don't travel next week for Thanksgiving. What's at stake is basically the increased chance of one of your loved ones becoming sick and then being hospitalized and dying. White House Coronavirus Task Force member Dr. Deborah Burks issuing this plea to all Americans. This is really a call to action for every American to increase their vigilance. This is more cases more rapidly than what we had seen before. It comes as states race to implement new regulations to try to stem the spread, including California. It issued a 10 p.m. curfew for about 94 percent of its population for the next month. In Illinois, the entire state is now entering a new phase of restrictions. Outside of things you have to leave home for, like school, work and groceries, we're asking everyone to stay home as much as you can. On the vaccine front, AstraZeneca released encouraging news on its vaccine, finding it produced a strong immune response in older individuals as well as younger. Dr. Anthony Fauci is confident in the preliminary data of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines as well. Help is on the way. If you're fighting a battle and the cavalry is on the way, you don't stop shooting. You keep going until the cavalry gets here and then you might even want to continue fighting. Dr. Fauci there. Then now to the stories making news around the world. India has reported more than 9 million coronavirus cases in total, and the capital, New Delhi, is seeing a surge. But the country as a whole has seen a steady decline in the number of new cases recorded over the past few weeks. The state of South Australia has lifted a lockdown early after learning that a COVID-positive person misled contact tracers. The person told the authorities they'd been at a pizza restaurant briefly, when in reality they were working there regularly. Now, why is this significant? Well, that false information led officials to believe the virus strain was highly contagious and the person had caught it despite a very short period of exposure. Mike Pompeo has arrived in Abu Dhabi, the fifth stop on his visit to Europe and the Middle East. He did what no previous US Secretary of State had done before. He visited a Jewish settlement in the West Bank. International law considers the settlements illegal. Coming up on First Move, Pfizer and BioNTech are submitting their application for emergency authorization to use their vaccine. I'll speak to an FDA commissioner about what comes next. And determining how long COVID-19 immunity lasts. A new study suggests it is more, or could be more, than six months. That and more in a moment. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Richard Quest sitting in for Julia Chatterley at the end of the week and a look at the markets and how the futures are moving. And the futures are pointing to a mostly lower open across the board, although it has been a bit of a mixed bag. You've got two down. You've got the broader market that is lower and the Dow that's lower. And the Well, I'm saying that, but look, even as we're speaking, the Nasdaq futures are going through zero. Little change for the week so far. It's all about vaccine hopes on one hand and fears of economic slowdowns on the other. Investors' uncertainty as the Fed and the U.S. Treasury are clashing. The Treasury has asked for its money back. The Fed says uh, not so fast. That money's still needed. Uh, Stephen Mnuchin defends the move. He says the programmes were always set to expire at the end of the year. 
and he says that they can be reactivated if needed. Pfizer and BioNTech are to submit a vaccine application for emergency use approval. Now, we already know it's that they're the first to do so. The company say the final analysis shows 95% is effective. It could be available by the end of the year. Decision will be made by the FDA. Mark McClellan is former FDA commissioner, now professor at Duke University. Uh, professor, we know that everybody said the most important thing is safety, of course. In your view, uh, from afar, but in your view, has the case been made by Pfizer and one imagines Moderna uh, shortly thereafter for emergency use authorization. Well, it's really following guidance from the FDA, Richard, which is despite the fact that this vaccine is getting to the FDA in record time, uh, there haven't been many corners cut at all in the evidence that the FDA is requiring that it is in fact safe and effective. So uh, you talked about the data on effectiveness. It's really pretty impressive if that holds up when it's reviewed by the FDA. On the safety side, this um, trial that Pfizer's uh, conducted has involved over 40,000 people and they've been followed for some time, months after receiving two doses of the vaccine. And the vast majority of at least serious side effects after a vaccine happen in that uh, time window. And so far, apparently nothing there, uh, nothing there of major consequence. Uh, there are some steps ahead. There will be a public review by independent experts of the information Pfizer submits. So people are going to be pouring over that data uh, just to make sure they're not any important safety signals. And that should give people a lot of confidence uh, if in the end FDA does end up authorizing this vaccine next month. Uh, the, the head of warp, Operation Warp Speed said uh, uh, to me earlier this week, he, he said that it would be unethical to wait longer. He says the data is so strong and, as you will know and be very familiar, most problems happen in the first month, 40, 50 days. To wait longer would be unethical, particularly when you think that 1,800 people died yesterday in the United States. Yeah, the figures in the U.S. Uh, right now are really staggering. This is by far the worst surge, the broadest surge we've seen in the pandemic. We knew this was coming and it would be great to have some help. I would emphasize, though, that the vaccine isn't going to get us through this surge. It's going to when it starts to become available, it will first go to the people who are most likely to benefit. That's healthcare workers, uh, people in nursing homes, uh, older individuals who are living in settings close to others where we really need to get them some help. And that's another reason why I, I think uh, Dr. Slowey is right that moving ahead now in this staged way with highest risk people first while we keep getting more information on safety uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, but Richard, this isn't going to help us get through the current surge. This is going to help us with starting to get more immunity in our population, you know, later January, February, March. Uh, so the, the months ahead are going to look better gradually. But uh, we have some really urgent uh, work to do with mitigation measures and other steps like distancing and masks to get through the next uh, month or two. Is it your opinion that the virus is now out of control in the United States? 
It is in many parts of the country. This is our third surge in the United States this year. It is hopefully the last one in this big, acute, very disruptive uh, uh, phase of the pandemic because we do have other steps coming and we've talked about vaccines that are gonna gradually help us get back to normal. We've also seen progress, uh, Richard, in other therapies. Um, um, uh, Lily had a, a treatment that um, reduces uh, immune response in very serious individuals approved for emergency use yesterday. We've got man-made versions of the antibodies that uh, the vaccines uh, intend to, to get people to create that can be used starting now. Uh, things are going to get better but uh, we have uh, um, virus rates of growth in many parts of the country, not everywhere, uh, that are very much out of control. And we are gonna see, unfortunately, continued increases in hospitalizations, deaths. It's really gonna strain the healthcare system in many parts of the country. And uh, we are, unfortunately, gonna need to take further steps to, to get that under control. I hope we can do it sooner rather than later. I hope we can do it through a lot of cooperation from the public uh, to get through this very tough uh, uh, weeks ahead, but it's not gonna go on forever. That's, I was listening to, to Bill Gates last night speaking to Anderson Cooper, who, Bill Gates basically said that by this time next year, or even as we come out of the summer next year, life will be looking very much more normal than it does today, which of course makes sense if, if, if the vaccine is the golden bullet. I guess what, if I understand yeah. you correctly, it's just how much misery we, infl we, we need to, to, to endure between now and then through social distancing or, or the lack thereof. Yeah, well, I, I certainly want to minimize the misery in the in the short term, too. You know, we've got a, uh, so many Americans, so many people around the world who are just tired of this, you know, and that's part of why we're seeing cases surge, not just in America, but in what many parts of Western Europe. The, the case rates are uh, are unfortunately just as high as in many parts of the U.S., so if we do take some steps now, like wearing masks and distancing, and uh, if we can help businesses get through needing to maybe uh, shut down their inside services of restaurants and bars, or at least cut back on them in areas with lots of outbreaks, uh, if we can handle going to small or no uh, gatherings of any significant number of people just for a matter of these next four, five, six weeks, that will get us over this surge, then we will be able to start benefiting from the vaccines. It, it's, it's not gonna be a, a golden or a silver bullet that you know all of a sudden makes things better, but as more and more people get immune, uh, Richard, we're gradually gonna see that the risk of infection spread go down. We're gradually gonna be able to do more and more things, probably while wearing masks uh, and the like during the first half of next year, do them safely. And that does mean by the second half of next year, um, we'll see a, a, a more a life, much more like it, it was before. I don't think it's going to be the same, but, but uh, uh, it's not that far off. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. We appreciate it. Now, we were just saying that about the, 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 the virus being out of control. The White House of Coronavirus Task Force says that it's spreading, the virus is spreading faster than ever before. Dr. Deborah Burke spoke to Sanjay Gupta. Uh, Sanjay asked the doctor whether the policy of containment had been a failure.
I always worry when we have an outcome that none of us want and none of us wanted. You know, did we miss a communication? Did we, did we say it the wrong way? Um, and I think really that's part of the reason why I went out into the States is really understand what they were hearing when we were speaking and really being in a dialogue and a partnership to really understand how we could do this better together. Was the lack of testing and the continued inadequate testing the original sin here? It's not only the number of tests and the type of tests, but using them in the optimal way so that we can get the most answers for the quantity that we have. Certainly, I'm a big proponent of testing and expanding testing. I actually think testing alone is a public health intervention. That if you constantly are testing people and isolating the positives, then you have a very different outcome. If you look at the universities that had mandatory, mandatory testing, they ended up with less than 1% of their student body infected. Dr. Marx talking to Sanjay Gupta. The market opens at the end of what's been a busy week, or the start of what's going to be a trading day at the end of a busy week. We'll be there for that. Welcome back to First Move. And Wall Street is up and running at the start of a Friday session. This is the way the numbers are. Stocks are searching for direction again. The vaccine news is in focus. Pfizer and BioNTech will each ask, or Pfizer and BioNTech together will ask the US for emergency use uh, approval to begin COVID shots immediately to begin vaccinating. The filing is due later today. Another big story for the markets is the US Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. He's defending his decision to wind down the emergency lending programs. He says the UN, the, the, the unused money is needed elsewhere. The Fed is arguing the programs are still lending support to the economy and are useful in case of an emergency and would be needed again. The vaccine could be the game changer for the airline industry, which has borne the brunt, of course, along with healthcare. But the, the airline industry, which to say has been hit by the catastrophe and decimated, would be an understatement. United Airlines says the cases are now taking its toll and the number of the new bookings has stopped and they're now starting to see some cancellations as well. Virgin Atlantic believes that testing is the future and is getting involved in a variety of testing programs. The CEO says that is the future. He was in London and I asked him about the impact of the lockdown. Throughout this uh, period, we've actually continued to fly uh, to many locations, and actually, the impact of the lockdown has been slightly less severe than we anticipated. And actually, in the last few weeks, we've seen an uptick in the speed of booking. I guess part of it on the back of the news of the vaccine, but also in the fact that people are now starting to plan for their Easter and summer holidays. And with confidence that we'll be around to serve them, they are indeed booking with us. Yeah, because you've now put in place the necessary financing. So you will get through this crisis uh, and continue. Uh, unlike Norwegian, which, of course, it's highly questionable whether they will uh, survive. On, this on the issue of vaccines, um, cargo, and I know that you've put together a new pharma 
plan. Do you hope to be part of the distribution, not just obviously in the UK, but taking that vaccine elsewhere, travelling it with your own planes? Well, actually, throughout this crisis, uh, our cargo operations have been uh, phenomenal, uh, serving really our National Health Service and, of course, distribution of medicine and, and uh, PPE equipment. And, of course, we all understand now that the vaccine, when it is ready for distribution, is only one element of it. But getting it to many uh, uh, nations um, will be a logistical uh issue. And we are right there at the forefront of that with our pharma-specific products that we've been putting in place for this uh, situation, but also it started uh, two to three years ago. So yes, cargo operations are essential to the distribution of the vaccine. You know, it's manufactured, of course, in the US and Belgium and Germany. But if you are thinking where it needs to go, this is the largest product launch in the history of mankind. And, you know, everybody sh should do everything they can to support it. And of course, we're there to do that. Right. Related to this, because few, travel in 2021 is going to be determined by one of two things. Have you been vaccinated or have you had a pre-departure test? Where are I saw American and BA this week. You saw United all putting in place pre-departure testing for the transatlantic. What are you going to do? Well, first of all, I think uh, while we are all ferocious competitors in the marketplace, I think our industry is united uh, around the fact that we need, to, of course, to do testing in the short to medium term in advance of, uh, of the availability of a vaccine. And of course, for us, testing in the UK is, is, a, is a big issue because in, in the UK, as you know, there is a quarantine and corridors are the only way to really travel. Of course, the US is shut down for people coming out of the UK and Europe. And it, when you come back from the US, you have to enter quarantine. So the only way to do this is pre-departure testing. Uh, 72 hours pre-departure, and then either upon arrival just to give some comfort to our government. Actually, in the recent study that we've commissioned together with other industry players, we've actually shown that anything is better than the quarantine. So any testing regime will be such so much more uh, 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 smart and good in terms of the efficacy because people don't actually adhere to a 14-day quarantine. Human behavior must be taken uh, there. And we're really calling our governments to act now. And this is all backed by the science, which supports a testing regime pre-departure. Head of Virgin Atlantic there, Shaivai, is talking to me. After the break, the Swedish model. Earlier on, it was said to be the way forward by the Swedish government. Now they've changed their mind. After the break. Saudi Arabia is hosting the G20 for the first time. It's a virtual meeting, of course, because of coronavirus, seen as the Robertsons in Riyadh. Uh, this was meant to be a, a, a sort of a coming out party in a way for, for Saudi Arabia, um, hosting the G20. Um, obviously, they haven't managed to get the summit that they wanted. But Nick, if you look at the way the Saudis have run the G20 for the last six months uh, for the last year. How do you make that? You know, I think there's been an element of they're new to the game of running something this big. Uh, they've certainly got many hands on the pumps. And I have to say at the front end, the sharp end of it here in country, albeit they're dealing with less people incoming than were expected. It's been a pretty slick operation. There's certainly a lot of 
push out of information to the media, a lot of awareness given on all the different meetings that are going on. Um, obviously, it's very hard to do. This is no, no one's kind of done a, uh, a G20 in the middle of a pandemic. For us, when we come in here, look, my face mask is in my hand. The Saudis are really it's very strict for good reasons uh, that people need to wear face masks all the time. People out on the street will get a fine if they're not wearing them. When you step inside the center here, um, you get temperature checks, uh, you know, at regular intervals. There's hand sanitizers everywhere. Social distancing is key. I interviewed the health minister be, uh, before, you know, and I asked him, what's your message for these leaders? Because obviously COVID-19 is going to be the biggest issue in front of them. And he said, look, you know, the world health is health system is as strong as the weaker system. So his message to them all here, all being and here virtually, um, is work together uh, on COVID, build strong structures. But I think the big takeaway uh, from this G20 is not going to be so much the medical initiative and working together, but the financial initiative. After all, that's what the G20 is about. You know, there's actually 53 countries represented and actually they represent about 85% of the world's economy. Um, uh, and what they will be really focusing on here is trying to help the poorer countries and their economies with a debt service suspension initiative is what's being talked about, whereby poorer countries get relief on their debt. And so when you talk about a world system, a world system for that means bringing China into the debt relief game. And that would be significant. So these are the kind of aims here, but trying to sort of uh, put and host something like that and get everyone in agreement when it's done virtually, that ain't easy. Uh, but so far, so good. Nick Robertson in Riyadh, thank you. Sweden is suffering from the second COVID wave. The problem in Sweden, of course, is the way they handled the first one. Now, as you remember, the strategy there was a hands-off one. Do not introduce any lockdowns or restrictions other than the, the basics. The country was an outlier. Now the government is advising that there should be some form of lockdown, but it's not mandating it. And doctors in the worst hit region are calling for even stricter measures. CNN's Phil Black is in Stockholm. A gym in central Stockholm. Sweden's government says this is dangerous, but it won't shut them down. And those working hard at this socially distanced class don't want to stop. Workout for me, it's, it's all I got right now. So I, I, need to, I need to do this as long as I can. And for all the members as well, they are so happy that we're still doing it. Perhaps they'd feel differently if they saw this. Uppsala Hospital, the ICU. A ventilated patient is being prepped for helicopter transfer to another facility with more free beds. Are you surprised that you're already having to juggle capacity like this? Not surprised, no. That we expected. After a quiet summer, the coronavirus is again surging in Sweden. This isn't like the spring peak. It's nowhere near as intense yet, but it feels uh, to, this, to the staff here so familiar. Uh, they are tired and frustrated because there is a sense that this could have been avoided. A powerful second wave hasn't changed the essence of Sweden's distinctive approach to slowing the spread. Still, no forced lockdown, few rules, mostly just advice on social distancing with an emphasis on personal responsibility. On the front line, they say it's not enough. We need to put some, you know, consequences for not doing these things. Enforcement. Yeah, enforcement. 
Sweden's official list of recommended behaviour is tougher now. It reads more like a voluntary lockdown, discouraging all non-essential mixing. Can you hear me? Or... But Anders Tegnell, the architect of Sweden's approach, admits too many aren't following his advice. So that's the key difference. Your recommendations aren't enforceable. So far, I mean, during the spring, this worked really well. Uh, we managed to get people to stop meeting each other to a great extent. If we can get back to that level of follow-up on our advice, uh, I think we can handle the situation also during this fall. Go on, flex. Yes. <laughs> Make him look angry. <laughs> Tegnell is lionized here. He has been our like national hero in this crisis. He has put out guidelines that have kept our freedom. There's broad support for the country's policies, even though officials admit Sweden failed its elderly. Almost 90% of people who've died so far were over 70. And Sweden's total death toll is more than four times the combined figure of its Nordic neighbours, all of which embraced tougher measures. Hello. Welcome. But even among the sick, you meet advocates for prioritising freedom. Anders Eidsvik knows the suffering COVID-19 can cause. It shouldn't be too easy to close down the society, I believe. Sweden is sticking with a model that relies on consent instead of legal force, but it's now asking people to voluntarily give up more than ever before, and it's not yet clear they're willing to do it. Phil Black, CNN, Stockholm. So to the question of how much immunity we all have if we actually go once you've had coronavirus. The latest studies suggest that immunity might be more than six months or longer. That's if the antibodies last that long. Joining me is Professor uh, Alessandro Sette from the La Jolla Institute for Immunology, uh, who led the study. According to it, if you look at the way 185 adults aged 19 to 81, and they'd all had COVID. Um, Professor, I, I, I had coronavirus. I had the antibodies. <coughs> Excuse me. And then one of my latest tests showed that the antibodies had disappeared or they were no longer detectable. Um, what Does this mean I'm now at risk again? Well, um, whether you are at risk again or not is, uh, is not known. And certainly, as a general rule, we uh, recommend people, uh, regardless of whether they had antibodies or not, to keep on uh, social distancing and wearing masks. But... Let me backtrack for a second uh, and talk about what does it mean uh, to have immunity. Immune responses are made of four different main components. There are the antibodies that you mentioned, there are the B cells, there are the cells that make the antibodies, and then there are the T cells that come in two flavors, killer cells and helper cells. So the antibodies bind the virus and neutralize it. So they're very uh, important for preventing an infection. The killer T cells recognize infected cells and kill them. So they're very important to terminate an infection. So what happens when you have an immune response? Basically, it takes right. a couple of weeks for, sorry, uh, it takes a couple of weeks what? for the immune response. Go ahead. Yeah, I just, taking those T cells and taking that environment that you talk about, on this question of reinfection, we, there, are, there are those few cases that we know about, Hong Kong, Amsterdam, uh, 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 and the like. 
But if we could easily be reinfected and catch it again in layman's terms, one would have thought there would have been more cases. Yes, and so it's certainly reinfection cases have been documented, but to put it in context, reinfection cases have been in the hundreds, uh, infection cases have been in the millions. So right now the problem is not to avoid reinfection, but is the problem is to avoid infection uh, at, the, at, the, at the big uh, uh, level. Uh, and our studies show that immune responses last uh, at least eight months. Uh, and I was going back to uh, the, the case you uh, uh, were mentioning, your own case of the antibodies waning and becoming in, uh, undetectable. That happens uh, in some cases, but it's a, a lot of variation from one individual to the next. It usually happens also with uh, people that didn't have a very severe infection. So basically, if your immune uh, response, if your antibody level are not very high, it doesn't take very long to drop the low level of sensitivity. Right. The important thing is that the memory B cells, the cells that make the antibody, are still there. In fact, in our study, we saw that over a course of six to eight months, those cells actually increased a little bit. So if you make an analogy, right. say there is an attack and the soldiers fire bullets, when the virus is gone, when the attack is gone, they don't fire anymore, but they're still there. So if you were to re-encounter okay. the virus, they would be ready to go. So the fact that you're... So related to that... Well, let me... Related to that is the question of the way in which we must behave, the way in which that we, having had the virus, and bearing in mind also there's the long COVID, which is another issue, you're basically saying to people, you may have immunity, but you still need to behave with masks and social distancing and all the other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the uh, right thing to do. Uh, it's important that everybody adheres to uh, social distancing, keep uh, wearing masks and all that. Uh, so it's, it's a mixed message. So there is good news. The immunity is long lasting in the majority cases. The vaccines are starting to come up and have shown excellent results, but we're not out of the woods yet, and we need to be continue to act responsibly. Professor, thank you. I appreciate it. Very kind of you joining us. Now, coming up after the break, banking on one of the biggest names in Nigeria. It's the 100 Club. This is First Move. Julia is off today. I'm One of the biggest names in African banking. In fact, it, it is twice as old as the country whose name it bears. Sylvania explores the first bank of Nigeria, which, of course, is a member of the Elite 100 Club. Nigeria might only be 60 years old, but its people have trusted this bank for 126 years. Even before the country got its name, First Bank of Nigeria was founded as the Bank of British West Africa by shipping magnate Alfred Lewis Jones, who needed a bank to make it easier to do business. The roots of what is now First Bank can actually be traced as far back as 1891, but First Bank itself was not established until 1894. 
Folake Animumuni is the bank's head of marketing and communications. She says longevity has always been the goal. At the end of the very first board meeting, the directors at the time were clear that they wanted an institution that would have steady growth, that would be sustainable. So in 1896, the bank started to expand, first to Ghana and eventually to other countries across West Africa. These days, First Bank is global. After decades in business, through name changes, mergers and acquisitions, in 1979, the bank was officially named First Bank of Nigeria Limited, the name it still holds today. The bank's CEO says its success is no fluke. Governance is very important in the long-term growth and development of any institution. While leading the organization through COVID-19 has been challenging, he says he's confident that the bank can weather any storm. We've existed through two world wars. We've seen at least two global pandemics. Most other institutions that were around when we started, they've fallen by the way. The reason why First Bank, under its different name, have continued to flourish is that capacity to lead innovation, disrupt, and be part of disruption. The 100 Club. Before we go, a last look at the markets. Allow me to show you where we stand. Of course, I'll be back for Questmeet's business in just a few hours, five hours or so from now. But we are down. We're down on the... Uh, the Dow, the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. It is all about the prospect. You've got competing issues now. The good news with the vaccine, the difficulties with the transition and the worries now that Steve Mnuchin is asking for the Treasury money back. And you've got lockdowns. All of these, this melange of events all taking place. And that's what you're seeing in the market. And that is first move for this Friday. Julia is back on Monday. Sanity will be restored. I'll see you for Questweed's business in five hours from now. Until then, whatever you're up to, I hope it's profitable. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.